Wow, you just have some amazing trees around here. <laughs> Let's go hang out. I was like, why is it so hard for me to just come in here and sit still? It's, they find it very easy, I think. I don't know. You, I, I asked them. They never told me. Ah, I wish I was watching a movie or accomplishing something. <laughs> Seem to, they, they look pretty chill in the way. So... Uh, my plan here is to talk for a few minutes and then uh, facilitate uh, the sharing of words by everyone else and then say a few more words. Well, that's the shape of that's my plan. Uh, yeah, I'm just so grateful. You know, it's so sweet to be immersed in the uh, family-style practice of Soto Zen. Mm. And I'd be like, oh, we'll just, you know, take care of the place together. We'll prepare food and then I get to eat it. Um, and then people wash dishes and I get to appreciate that. People put things away. This is really, uh, it's, it's not <clears throat> insignificant that the basic style of practice is to come and occupy a home together and live together harmoniously. Because, uh, like, you know, on the grand scales, like we're in the universe together. Could we occupy our home harmoniously? Maybe. Um, but, you know, it takes some practice and like a sort of a, some intentionality sometimes. And, um, you know, I, I I think that it's like many elements of Buddhist practice. When we think about the dependent nature, it's pointing to the fact that we we feel alienated from our dependency. So, like there was this food product that was at a grocery store that I frequented. It was called Simply Potatoes, <laughs> and uh, it's called Simply Potatoes, and it was like a frozen plastic package that had like twelve ingredients. Um, that probably came from all over parts of the world and big like food science plants that produced the things with 47 syllables that were in the ingredient list. And uh, then you could go to the other end of the store, you could pick up a potato. Uh, or you could go a couple miles away for someone who's probably growing a potato. Um, and, you know, in the early Chan tradition, they were farming. Um, uh, maybe not so much as people like to think, but anyway, there was farming going on. So, you know, the, the, the like packaging, it's like, it's uh, very alienated. It's like, what's simple about it is it's simple for me. I put it in here, I go home, bang, now I have food that we call that simple in, in our culture, but actually it's very complex. So there's an enormous amount of complex interdependent systems that produce what is designed to appear to us for our convenience to be simple. It's a very alienating structure. It's the same thing with like meat. It's like there are kids who don't realize that meat comes from animals till they're like seven years old because you go to a store and it's just like a thing in a package, right? Um, whereas like, you know, people grow up on farms and they're like, well, if you want to have some meat, you're going to have to kill one of your goats. So much closer to the process. And 
So when we do family style practice, we get closer to the process of our life. We do it together. So we see like, if I'm going to eat, someone got to make food. And then it's like, oh, thank you for making the food. If I'm ever going to stand up from this period of zazen and not just die on this cushion, someone has to ring the bell. Thank you for ringing that bell. Right? <laughs> so... And then you get like boards of directors. If we're ever going to make this thing kind of keep going, we have to have some people who go, how are we going to do it? Do we need some dollars to make it go? Yeah, we just realize that's part of the whole process. So I just really appreciate that this community of people here, and in particular Dean, is like making this go, making this go. And I could just show up and be like, wow, this is a very welcoming family. They welcome me in one of my favorite ways. They just let me sit in the corner and be quiet, which may seem a little strange, but you know, I've been wandering around the country talking to people. It's very nice to have some time just to be quiet and things subtle. And I really appreciate it. And just tying this in, you know, this is about seeing dependency and just taking care of simple things. I also want to say uh, regarding the complete realized nature of all phenomena <laughs> as one does you know, just, you know since we're talking <laughs> that uh, you know this can help us trust our practice you know, we're sitting here and your mind's like, boy, I better think about something important. You know, I, I've got a project to do or I got something to figure out or I'm bored and I just like entertain myself. So that is the mind just doesn't trust that this is complete. It's like, let's make something more interesting. And that's okay. It does that. Um, but as we, as we kind of cultivate awareness and just kind of talk about and remind ourselves that everything's a complete realized nature. It's like the mind can come, maybe this is pretty good. I don't have to make up a whole other thing and take me away. And then, you know, maybe there's a pause in that and then you're like, ooh, I'm just here. It's like, oh, yeah, but this body's kind of weird and, you know, I don't feel peaceful enough. And, you know, even though I'm here, I'm bored to death. You know, been there. Um, yeah, and we can be like, oh, but this too. This is the complete realized nature of boredom. Awesome. <laughs> so, like, this is about trusting reality. This is the basic faith of Mahayana. It's not an idea about reality. We might use an idea like, yeah, reality is already complete realized nature. But what does that mean? It means it's not what you think it is. So it's not about having some fixed idea that's got it figured out. It's an invitation to be like, I don't have to figure it out. You don't have to figure it out. You don't have to figure yourself out. You don't have to figure anything out. You're just here. And that's pretty good. What a freaky thing. Like, how does it even happen? But you're here at any moment. And that maybe you've come somewhere and slowed down enough to be able to go, whoa. Like this. Sounds, sights, breathing. Oh, complete. 
is complete. <clears throat> so uh, that's what I wanted to say there. So in uh, thinking about it, it says here on the schedule something really cool, like Dharma discussion. That sounds cool. This is what I want to do. Uh, I, I would like to invite uh, each person to speak in order. Um, and uh, I might, I'll bring the people who are in the online. By the way, I forgot to say this. You know, family style practice is awesome when you're in your own house. I did two years of family style photos and practice sitting in my house because we couldn't go to our building. And it was like, oh, dang, I'm bringing my practice to my family. Like so you walk by your, you're in the middle of session and you walk by your spouse or your 22 year old stepson playing video games. <laughs> yeah, here we are. That's great. That's great. So it's like that being when we do online uh, retreat practice, it's a great opportunity to realize, well, this, here's my family right now. It's this household that I'm in, in this space, these people I'm with. Even if those people are just squirrels running around on the roof. So, uh, yeah, going around. So I'll, I, I would like to just start and go around the room, and at some point I'll call on the people who are in the Zoom meeting. Um, I, and anyone could just pass and just say, I pass. That's cool. Um, but the invitation is for each person to just talk for a minute or two, pretty briefly. Um, you can really say anything you want. So if there's something on your heart, then you can just bring it. But if you're like, well, what am I supposed to talk about? Well, you could talk about what about these teachings I've been sharing is interesting, compelling, or challenging and annoying to you. You'd be like, that just seems crazy. I can't get it. Ooh, I'm curious about this. So, you know, what about the three natures teachings is, is compelling and challenging? But you could just kind of be like, oh, I'm sitting here and it's really cool. I like breathing. I'm going to keep doing it as long as I can. Without cleaning, whatever. Wait, what, there, what are the again? One was can you summary and one two three. Imaginary, dependent, and complete realized natures. Yeah, and it could just be kind of like something I said that you go, oh, I was weird. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So the idea is just each person has a little space to speak. You know, it's really great, uh, really good practice. I think you know the way I learned to talk Dharma is you sit in a circle. And it's just each person has a little moment. You're practicing being uh, concise and clear. And, you know, when, when talking about this, it's like, how can we talk about what's truly personal and meaningful to us and talk about the Dharma? So here are the extremes. I really like the philosophical implications of the complete realized nature because it really relates to me to Kantian ideas of idealism. That's, that's kind of an extreme, not very personal. And on the other hand, you're like, oh, yeah, I really like the three natures because yesterday I saw a toad and it was really cute. And, and then you're like, you haven't actually tied it to practice at all. You just have something you want to talk about in your life. That's okay, too. So these are all fine. We dwell in extremes. But how can we practice marrying Dharma with the reality of our life? It's speaking about it in a way that's concise. This is a really beautiful thing to practice doing. Um, so that's my invitation to you. So that's like kind of the target. The target. 
Um, okay. Feel free, like I said, pass. But uh, can we start with you? Yes. Okay, I'm gonna. I'm even gonna do this. Here's Mark and Cynthia. Anyway, um, before I say one of the significant things for me is that you're here, Ben Kelly, and you shared um, your enthusiasm, and I'm just in a state of wonder over how you packaged it and gave us these beautiful teachings. So thank you very much for that. Um, what I, I like, especially today, um, because I've had a, a couple of conflicts with people recently, that, that we're all enlightened and we're all Buddhas. And I need to remember that because sometimes I find fault with people and, um, have terrible pain from people that I love that I feel are hurting my feelings and then I realize, well, they have their opinion on it too. So this was very helpful. That's all I'm going to say. Thank you. Thank you. And I like, it's probably nice to end with a little bow so people know you're, you're done. So I don't have anything constructed very well put together in my head. Um, and so some of this might come out sort of naive something. Um, so I want to begin with the fact that I have really enjoyed many aspects, many even tiny aspects that of your teachings, um, like the difference between no self and non self. You know, I never really was able to think about that. Um, but we spend a lot of time in Zen, all the literature, and the sitting, and uh, to be intimate with you know the communication within and our surroundings and the interconnectedness, um, and then we understand some of these models um, that was put together years and years ago. Um, but even when I go take out, you know, go take a walk in the woods, I really feel the connectedness. And I, uh, I'm an elected leader, and I feel connected with people, with trees, with cells. With... But the other side of this is... I feel like this is almost one-sided. Where's the other side? Where's the, you know, um, the interconnectedness? I feel like I'm seeing it, but how do I know what's real? And how do I know? I told you it's going to be nice. But sometimes... There are things that I want done. And, and I know those are coming 
from events from what I get all that. But I still need to make sure that things are sort of done. That makes sense. So anyway, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Don't. Um, <clears throat> what struck me the most um, in your discussion earlier was, I think it was a post that you read, I was looking at um, where you're talking about at one point in your life, an emotional behavior, your therapist would tell you this, your recovery teacher would tell you this, your dominant teacher would tell you this. We have all these different points of contact in what that we're addressing sort of facets of the situation. And to me, that was you know, a beautiful uh, prime example of independent or imaginary that is complete all at once in an individual's life. So, that, thank you. <clears throat> and as we get further from the laptop, please use your big voice. So, um, what struck me about the three natures when you were talking about it was my daughter. Um, she like when something, you know, climate change like really brings her down. Like it could just make her really depressed you know so like she was in california two years ago during the wildfires and she just like made her plunge in depression so and i try to talk to her about it like yeah that sucks it's bad it's not that it's not good but that's not everything right <laughs> that's not all reality but I, I don't really know the word and i try to say you know talk about sort of like inner and outer, right? The things that are kind of affecting you, events and such, and then what's inside of you. So you can't, even if there were no wildfires, it doesn't mean everything's great, you know? But I never really know kind of how to put the terms together. But I was thinking about what you said, how you were talking about being, giving up meat, you know, so that's like a 180, but maybe you do something and that kind of hints towards that, right? So, um, so it's like the, the intermingling of the three natures, right? And, and somehow in my head, you know, I start thinking, well, are there percentages like throughout the day? Like I'm in this 33, you know, is it 33, 33, or is it like, you know, my head started going there, you know? And then I was like, no, it's not really. <laughs> but, um, but I just, it, it reminded me of my discussion with my daughter and, you know, I have to ponder it further and kind of share, share it with her about how that applies to you. Thank you. And I think it would be nice now to go to the folks who are in the <clears throat> online meeting. Um, so I'm going to call on people. Uh, Cynthia, can you, you 
have people say their names. Oh, yeah. Have people say their names because I can't really see people that well to tell who it is. You know, yeah. I know who ran again. Is. That. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh, do you want hey, to do well, online Cynthia. now? Yeah, yeah. Cynthia, do okay. you want to go ahead? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, and it goes along with the reality of things, what we think. Um, in the last couple of weeks, on different things that I'm involved in and studying with, people talk about karma. And, um, you know, and I've known about karma and I've studied about karma and it's, you know, but it was just like, uh, there's so many thoughts about what karma is. And the other night, someone that I'm studying talked about karma and he said, closing to suffering makes more pain for self and others. Thinking there is no suffering is an illusion. And I thought, wow, that's, yeah, that's really the way I think about it. Um, I, I've never really had much of a, um, having been raised Catholic, I, I've never had much of a thought thought or attachment to the idea of karma. Um, I think it's just a part of life. Um, I don't really label it. But yeah, I thought that was interesting to put it that way because, you know, for some people, and we all do it at times, that we, we are in denial about our suffering. And um, sometimes for the people, People around us that can be very, uh, <laughs> you know, very difficult, very difficult. And um, yeah, I think to be, be think of it and be responsible to begin with, not to create negativity, not to be in denial, but. Um, you know, to be open about realize that it is there and we all have it. Uh, have compassion, not only for ourselves, but for others. It's really the first thing to do is to have compassion for myself, but to have it for others. And, and that's the reality. Whatever we pile on top of it, you know, all our preconceptions or conceptions or whatever, um, it, it, the bottom line on the other side of it is that, yeah, there is suffering. That is the reality. Pass. Mark? Mark, are you on here? Sorry, I went on mute. Um, so... I'm currently, um, when I'm not thinking about the end of the world, um, I am currently uh, looking at myself and trying to see how I can be a better bodhisattva 
and um, <clears throat> I participate in 12-step program and Buddhist recovery groups. So, uh, and I'm currently working on a fourth step, which is where you write down your resentments and anger and who you're angry at and the reason and how it affects you and your part in it. And um, um, so I kind of the past couple of days uh, been listening to you and, um, you know, the, trying, trying to see how this can fit into um, <clears throat> recovery or, you know, 12 step. And I just, I see a lot of similarities and um, ultimately it's all about, you know, re reducing suffering. And, um, but I, I, I like how this is a, different way of looking at it uh, from the three natures perspective. So I'm looking forward to reading your book because uh, last night at midnight, I went online and I Googled the three natures and I just clicked on the first link and it took me to a comparative philosoph philosophy uh, paper by this um, uh, a, a professor at the Colorado State University, Matt McKenzie, and um, it was way over my head about internalist and non-dualist interpretation, 14 pages. Um, so, yeah, I think I had to be careful with, you know, saying, oh, I don't understand any of this and forget it versus taking bite size and well, and not looking online at midnight either. <laughs> Anyhow, that's tough. I'm looking forward to your book. Hopefully you've simplified it a little bit more than this uh, professor. Thank you. Thank you. All right, uh, Keith. Uh, yeah, you know, I don't seem to know how to use the trackpad on this device. I didn't realize, but now you got the speaker. Oh, I got this. Yeah, that part. Good, good. All right. Well, that's still here. Let me do this. Yeah, you gotta mute your your actual speaker, which then we won't be able to hear them. Speaker off too. Oh, the speakers, which we got success. Uh huh. Turn mine up for a moment in case Mark or Cynthia needs to blurt out. Um, so Mark stole a little my thunder there with the uh the recovery and and. And then I also thought a lot about, um, and I know this isn't discussion or, or question and answer, but I'd like to, or where I started going when you were talking about the three natures and delusion is uh, with trauma and suffering and addiction and how a lot of that is um, based on our, you know, illusory thinking or, or 
that that all a lot of that takes place in the uh um the imagination you know not in reality and uh but i still struggle very frequently with uh uh, depression and, and trauma and just wondering you know how i can use the three natures and specifically the uh imaginary one uh, and how to work with that and to uh in, in that regard that's really all i all i had thanks stand on muted and just turn it to dean <laughs> Slide back here. Okay. Good. Well, I, I had to chuckle when uh, when Mark. Who are you? What's that? I said, who are you? Vince oh, Steele wants to know who you are. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the Buddha. <laughs> uh, I had to chuckle when uh, when Mark talked about the end of the world. Because actually that came up in a musical vein for me this morning with all between last night and this morning and looking at the three natures, uh, uh, a song title that deals with that very subject by, uh, by R.E.M. It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. <laughs> <laughs> and... It, in the context of three natures, you know, the world as we know it is most of our time we hang out in the imagine, imagined realm. So to be that's all of a sudden it kind of starts rattling around for me that well yeah that's that's the way this song lyric should be taken. The end of the world as we know it is really being able to to transform, transcend these ruts we, we're stuck in, in the imagined realm, our fixed views, this is what it is. And that's the end of our world in a certain manner of speaking. And when we can do that, you know, it's kind of that liberation that was also talked about in connection with this teaching. I feel fine. It's the end of the world as I know it, and I feel pretty damn good. <laughs> so new insights into REM song lyrics. <laughs> Thank you. And we do have a request for people to say their name before you speak. So that'd be great. Let me go ahead. Uh, my name is Steve. Some of you may know me. I some of you might have never seen before. That's okay. Um, I'm I'm one of those. I just have a couple of random thoughts. I'm one of those people who, unlike Mark, would have enjoyed that that 14 page paper on the philosophical analysis. When I first heard the subject of the talk, I kept thinking about that car commercial about how how all great things come in threes. You know, they had three different kinds of SUVs. Uh, but I kept thinking about uh, I kept thinking about three natures in in Western philosophical dialectical terms. Um, for example, the Hegelian dialectic of, of thesis, antithesis, synthesis, and, and or the existential dialectic of, of the ideal, the, the synthetic, and the authentic. And 
and, and it, in in Western philosophy, those are all ways of understanding how spirit moves and deals with the relationship between self and other. And it, it, it's, a, it's a kind of a circular, progressive kind of kind of thing. So I, so I keep thinking of it as a dynamic model describing how the spirit or spirituality works, kind of moving from the the imaginary to the dual, non-dual. But but it's but then I get I get I get hung up with with the oh well these three natures are all there at the same time. It's it's not a movement. You don't go from one to the other. They're all they're all three aspects of the same reality. And and I, I, I struggle with 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 trying to, to, to match um kind of the dialectical with the aesthetic. Um the other thought I had that that, that struck me was um you, you kept moving in your talk between suffering and nirvana. And and whenever you get to the, you know, that well, it's nirvana right now, isn't that great? And I I never could could envision nirvana as a positive thing. And I know that's that's kind of the goal of Buddhism is to is to get to the point of complete realized consciousness or whatever. But you know, it's it's kind of like when I was when I was a Christian and Studying to be a priest, I, I could never imagine a heaven that was actually good. Every, every, every time I tried to imagine what it would be like to be in heaven, my construct would turn into hell. You know, the, you know what I mean? The, 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 I, I never could imagine a pure goodness, a pure way of being that was anything other than either emptiness or, you know, not something good. So, so I, so I, I couldn't ever grasp that. You know, well, it's nirvana now. We're, we're we're in the complete realized consciousness. It's like, well, is that really a great thing? Because that means no self. Yes, there's no problem. Yes, there's no suffering. But it also means nothing else that that we believe in or value is there either, or they are there because we think <laughs> we everything there at the same. So again, I'm, it's the dialectic versus the the the, the static. They just uh, trips me. Okay, um, I'm Paul, and um, you know I think I'm I'm processing a lot, I mean, particularly when we're turned and, and facing the wall. So a lot of this is just kind of settling in, and um, keep going back to one of the things Dean keeps reminding us is there's one there's one Dharma, and you know many different ways to get there. But I guess the biggest thing that I'm I'm processing as I'm sitting is the the difference between being the receiver or feeling like you're that you're receiving things or things are happening to you versus being an agent or having agency and then kind of the impact that you're having so i mean I, I grew up in a very kind of not so great household where i was kind of trapped and had to do a lot of mental exercises to feel good about where i was and so i got really good at Kind of being Pollyanna-ish, and my mom was really good and helpful at that because that was probably a survival mechanism, which was everything's what you make it, and things are great, and things actually weren't that great, and you know, but you you're just there, you you can't get out of that, and so I got really adept at being, you know, kind of just putting on the happy kind of face, and you know, so it's easy for me to be kind of as things are happening to me pivoting to be okay with that and then 
for your kind of this victim state. And then as you kind of get older and you go through things and, and you find a practice, you start to realize we have agency as well. And then you start to take some actions and then you realize that you have an impact on people. And then of course there's a heavy amount of guilt that comes along with every decision you make, right? Even though it's kind of like, well, you know, avoid picking and choosing, but, but you can't because every decision you make, whether that's for your own self-care or anything has an impact on everyone else. And I remember going off to college and, you know, I remember my grandmother, you know, being very sad that I was going off to college and, and really felt like her saying, you know, kids should, you know, continue to live with their parents for their livelihood. So, you know, me going off to college made her extremely sad, right? And every change that you make, whether it's a, you change a partner or you change a job or you change, you know, that makes some people happy. And then there's many other people that are sad. And so I'm trying to process or just kind of think of it on the impact of that. And then just having agency and making those choices and realizing the impact that you're having and just how you process all of that and apply some of these <laughs> techniques to, you know, kind of just be aware and, and understand. So that's my head. I'm Aaron. Hi, everyone. Um, I was just thinking about um, what we were talking about with the nature of, um, you know, kind of acting as if this we are in that kind of nirvana. Um, and I was thinking about a haiku um, by Isa, I think, and it goes something like January. Um, plum blossoms in, a, in another district. Um, you know, and there's this notion that, you know, you're, or one might be living in a conditioned world and feeling kind of very devo uh, devoid of whatever conditioning you, or whatever kind of connection you may want to feel. Um, and you might feel disconnected, but at the same time, both in reality, they're plum blossoms. They're elsewhere, but they're also here at the mm. same time. And through imagination, you can also recognize the plum blossoms at the same time. So both both through imagination and through reality. So I was kind of thinking about, you know, you're talking about family and therapy. And, you know, I, I feel like in the past and in, in therapy, I thought a lot about, you know, how can I find the one member of, of my family who really, really did me did me bad, did me dirty, you know, and, um, and that's not really very fulfilling, that doesn't really get you any, it doesn't help much, um, so I've just been thinking about, you know, how can, how can you kind of act in a way that feels good and feels like you might want to do that in a, you know, if you're in a true reality where you're all fundamentally one, um, how can you how can you do that while at the same time acknowledging the kind of Januaryness of how they might make you feel? Um, how can you how can you do both of those things at once? Um, I think is is a really uh, you know it's kind of one of those kind of koan type type dilemmas, but um, but it that's where I think we find ourselves often.
<laughs> we do the sound now. Back to bed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I got. I think I can. I can do it all except turn up your volume on your computer. I have to ask you to unmute. Success. Uh -oh. All good. Thank you. This was just beautiful to hear people's reflections here. You know, the diversity of, of experience. Um, one of the beautiful things about uh, yoga chara teachings is they affirm diversity. They're like, you only meet people who are experiencing the world the, the way they're experiencing it. You know, that sounds like really obvious, but it's like a lot of times we're like, no, we know exactly what is the, the true thing. And if you don't see it that way, you're just dumb. There's a lot of that going on. And we can realize, you know, a Mahayana perspective and a Yogacara perspective is like, how can we meet a person given the way they're seeing it with, with something that will be helpful? And most of the time, that person is ourselves because we're hanging out with ourselves a lot. It's like you wake up in the morning and it's like, who are you with? I mean, I wake up with my spouse often, but she's asleep. It's like, I'm, it's me. So here's a person who has this particular kind of experience right now. What can I do that's beneficial? And then, and then I meet some other people during the day too. So uh, I just... Um, I want to say a couple things, you know, uh, underlying this, the three natures, uh, the, the, the point is to create a way of talking about the world that is conducive to people feeling willing and joyful about meeting the sufferings of the world. It's, it's, a, it's a philosophy whose function is to serve the bodhisattva vision. So it's not like they made the philosophy and it was like, oh, it turns out this would lead to someone devoting their whole life to everyone being well. It didn't start, it goes the other direction. So at the bottom, this is like, yep. I mean, my goodness, like this is a crazy thing. Early Chan, many of the great Chan masters who are writing these beautiful poems about being in nature, they were living through massive wars where a huge percentage of the population of the country they were living in were being brutally killed. <laughs> And they were able to just be like that. And here I am. I have a practice. So um, it's terrible, but it, it's true that many, uh, there's a lot of suffering in the world, but it's possible to engage in this whole situation with, with some joyfulness and some openness. Um, I do want to, you know, someone mentioned trauma and addiction. Um, this three natures in yoga chara, like when you look at the way people are understanding trauma now, it's very similar to the way, uh, you, basically it's like, yes, you're suffering because previous conditions have created a tendency in you to experience a certain kind of suffering. And it, you might be like, well, that sounds obvious, but actually a lot of times throughout human history, they're like, you're suffering because God's mad at you. <laughs> you're suffering because uh, the tree spirits are upset, which is all cool. You know, there's different ways of looking at things. Um, so I'm not saying the current idea of how trauma works is the truth, but um, for people who are trying to integrate these things into their Buddhist practice, there's a lot of really good tools. Um, yeah, so 
we can keep going. And one of the things I love about this tradition is it never closes. So, um, you know, there's teachers like, oh, you figure it out and then and then you have closure. That's just never there's no that is not what we're trying to do here. What we're trying to do is stay open. So it's like when we say everything's nirvana, it's not like, oh, then you got to figure it out. You accept ding done. We're all good. You know, it's like it's also imaginary. We didn't get out of samsara. We stayed with it. The Mahayana Samgraha, one of the greatest Yogacara texts, says liberation is not being free from samsara. It's being free in samsara. That's really the promise of the, of the Bodhisattva tradition. It's like we're not running away. Not escaping, we're not getting rid of anything, we're not destroying anything, we're not becoming something else, we're not making something else happen. We're making choices in this moment. So instead of being like, I have to get that done, you say, it would be useful for me to do this, which is really good because there are a lot of things I had to get done that didn't happen and I got really mad. I tried and I tried and it didn't work out. That's very frustrating. But this gives us a worldview where it's like, oh, I can always just keep coming back. Right now, I have an opportunity. What am I going to do? And what I'm going to do for today is look at this floor, which is really beautiful floor. The light reflects on it, and then I can see these beautiful shapes of bodies resting in stillness, perhaps being very agitated in stillness. I don't know. Um, so we just have a little bit more time. You know, it's just all these words, it's kind of fancy and complicated, but invitation is just to settle and see, oh, these are this is the body sensations that are here. The field of sounds and sights, thoughts that are arising. Oh, the emotion comes up. I care about that. Don't have to do something to it. Caring is enough. So uh, thank you all. Wonderful. Hey, do we have a little break before Zazen or just jump yeah. in? And then uh, we'll just take a little break. Forty minutes.